in this episode, I sat down with Kelly, the infamous lore master, entrepreneur, and face of Tabletop Town. During this conversation, I spoke to her about her journey within the TTRPG community, and we dove into many topics, including what I like to call a narrative style of GMing and world building. In addition to that, I had the ability to discuss Kelly's entrepreneurial relationship with the TTRPG industry. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out Tabletop Town social media to follow their journey. And if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to share with your friends and support us over on Patreon. Now, with that being said, let's get started. Kelly, Fate Weaver, Master of Souls, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing great. For the folks out there, that is, excuse me, that is her official title. Do not refer to Kelly yes. as anything else but Fate Weaver, Master of Souls, Master of Stories, Lore Master, in fact. Just saying. All of those. I yep. do need the in fact included at the end. In fact. Just yes. keep them all going. <laughs> just like you'd have a PhD or Esquire, in fact. Yeah, I, just in fact. Mm-hmm. I love I it. want just that. Skip the rest of the titles. Just Kelly, in fact. Ooh, I can do that. I can do that. It's a, it's a bold move to make as a, as a signature. I will only ask for a 2% royalty. Um, we do have okay. to pay for the lights here on the podcast. So, you know what? Honestly, that's pretty fair. Mazel tov. I, I think I can, I think I can roll with 2%. Okay. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Um, I will remind you when you become a Buku billionaire. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, then the 2% will kick in. I'm thinking in the future. <laughs> no, no uh-huh. but I'm, I'm really glad that you accepted the invite to um, the podcast. I know we've been talking about it and chatting about it. Um, but I really want to get to know a couple of things because you mentioned some things before the podcast that mm-hmm. you are the forever DM. And please tell me, how yes. did you get how did you get stuck being forever <laughs> DM? So I have a background in creative writing. I was actually a poetry major in college, um, which clearly poetry major to CEO is a very traditional career yes. path. I'm very aware. Um Absolutely. And during COVID kind of going insane with the lockdown, my roommate and I, I'd always wanted to play D&D. And then I was watching Critical Role and listening to Adventure Zone and thought, okay, this is very much something I want to get in on. And my, our friend played D&D, but had only played it a couple times and sat in on one shots with her husband. And she said, well, I'm willing to play with you, but I'm not going to run the game. I don't want to do that. Uh. And... So it was, well, if you want to play, someone has to DM. And I have uh, ADHD and I am very, very good at sprints of information. Yes. And so I read the entire Dungeon Master's Guide and the entire Player's Handbook in a couple of days. And then said, okay, I know the rules of D&D now. Um, I am a master. (laughs) I'd... I'd kind of picked up a lot as you hadn't realized how much I'd picked up from watching Critical Role and realizing, oh, wait, no, I'd already internalized most of these roles. But we sat down and played Dragon of Ice Fire Peak, and that campaign was still going almost three years later. Awesome. Um, Yeah. So we've added two more players or three more players. So it's a campaign of five women and then myself as DM. 
Um, we're going all the way to level 20. I'm in the homebrew stuff now. They're level 13. Um, and we play every single week. Nice. And then, yeah. So, and then I joined a second campaign as a player and was like, yes, I'm actually going to play. This is so exciting. And then our DM's wife got pregnant and had the kid and was like, I can't, obviously I can't keep doing this every week, but we wanted the campaign to keep going. So originally it was sold to me as we're going to alternate. You're going to run a campaign every other week. And I said, okay, I can do that. You failed your, uh, your deception. Yeah, I very much so. And so you failed insight. They rolled pretty well on deception. They rolled really high on deception. I probably with advantage because baby. And then I had to, so now I'm running two campaigns. Well, actually, I'm running the same same campaign because I'm doing Dragon My Spire Peak again because I said I can't prepare a new campaign. So I'm sure. running one at level 13 and one at level five. Okay. In entirely now different worlds given the nature of the campaign. But yeah, twice a week. Do the campaigns inter- intertwine in any way? Uh, they do not because one of the players is in both campaigns. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. That's interesting. What is it about that campaign setting, though, that piques your interest? What is it that you personally as a DM Mm -hmm. find really well written, especially with your um, technical background? Yeah. um, At first, honestly, it's because it was the beginner campaign. And so Mm -hmm. was okay. And it was so well designed for beginners. There was a lot of here's how you DM. Here's potential things you can include, but you don't have to. Um, That very first session I ran, they had a bunch of stuff listed as like, here's information that characters can find out. Here's everything. And I thought I was super, super prepared. And then my players walked into the inn and just started talking. And I had no one populating that inn. And so I invented Jeff, the stoner burnout dwarf, Um, (laughs) just in a panic. And so that became just like the tone of the campaign. So now I run basically two Princess Bride campaigns. Um, Perfect. But those settings, I do appreciate how well established they are in the classic lore of D&D. So especially when I was starting, I could just find pages and pages and pages of online information about, well, actually, here's the distance. They're interactive maps because... I'm highly nitpicky and technical. So when players are like, well, I turn into a bird and I'm like, okay, exactly how many miles can you fly? And exactly how far does that get you? Um, So I have maps. Then there's also just like eons of lore that I can pour through. Absolutely. That is like ready and I can add my stuff into, but is not requiring me to invent at the drop of a hat if I'm under pressure or I don't have time to prepare or, you know, I have a full job. Yeah. I mean, having the full-time job does... Sometimes it's so pesky, the full-time job <laughs> interjecting. Well, yeah, it is wild that I started playing D&D during COVID mm-hmm. and kind of picked it up as a hobby. And now it is my full-time job. So which... could you talk about that a little bit? Because you said you yes. have a creative arts background and now it's your full-time mm-hmm. job. So can you explain what that journey looked like? Yes. Um, So Tabletop Town is the company I'm running, and it is an app to play tabletop role-playing games remotely and asynchronously. System agnostic capabilities. So we have a full lunch in July, at end of July, Um, currently in beta testing. If anyone's interested, you can check us out on our website. Um, 
but I came on originally through a friend of a friend as the head writer. We needed someone to do writing, to establish the tone, to do not just the marketing, but all of the in-app writing, write the tutorials, write the campaigns, everything that comes out I've written. Okay. And we, it was originally just a couple of developers, um, a graphic designer and myself. And then we started building this out more and more and more and thought, oh, wait, this, this is a company now. We have a company. All of us would love to take this full time. Um, this is an actually a great idea. It's filling a niche in the marketplace. This could become something. And we needed someone with business experience and kind of interest and experience in like the investment world and the startup world. Mm -hmm. And I do have that in my background, just not kind of traditionally in my nine to five. And so I was the one interested in stepping up and I like talking to people. I like meeting people. And that's a lot of what we needed up front, um, going and being the face and talking, having those conversations with investors. And I stepped up. And so I've been CEO since we incorporated in December. So I've been kind of doing it since, oh, no, that's not right. September. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So... So with this app, so with this app, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If, if you don't mind explaining it a little bit more. So I, I come from um, an infosec background, mm-hmm. and as I mean, obviously the there's some you know crossing from like you know app development and, and and infosec. But my my big question is, how does this app plan to help dungeon masters and game masters trying to you know, especially new game masters who are trying mm-hmm. to um, ascertain a group or find something of that nature. So I think those are, there are kind of a couple of questions there. So how do we connect people to like each other, game masters to players, players mm-hmm. to players, vice versa. And also then on kind of the technical side, how do we help game masters? Yep. So starting with the connection, um, it. We're not looking to become a social media platform, but we are going to have places where, and you have friend requests, you can send friends to join campaigns, and we will have campaigns that you can basically set statuses open, and you can filter through available campaigns and join the campaigns through there, um, or through our Discord, kind of find groups off the app, find each other, and then move to the app where you can all kind of connect and play. One of the big things is being able to play asynchronously because it's basically through chat messaging means that you're not tied by time zones. Nice. So you can have, the campaigns will be a bit slower paced, but it also means that you can play kind of whenever you have time. So I can finally rope some of my friends in who live overseas and be like, you don't have an excuse now because you're 10 hours ahead of me. Um, But that doesn't matter anymore because we can all kind of play on our own time. And technically how we're going to help game masters We have a whole set of uh, creator tools that we are currently building out that are both for game masters and like creators of all kinds, artists, writers, and then also game designers. So these are full sets of tools to organize campaign notes, to have everything kind of in a card system. So you have like smaller bits of information that are gathered into cards that are gathered into stacks of cards that are gathered into chapters and kind of go up. So you can get as granular as you need to get or as general as you need to get but it also means you can access all of your campaign information from wherever Um, and we're kind of building out looking into for game stores that have 
cam ongoing campaigns that are run by multiple professional GMs, the capacity to share campaign notes between GMs. And then if someone is playing, you don't have to, like if someone else takes over the session, you don't have to come with a stack of books and then also all of your notes. And you're like, oh God, what happened? Yeah. Who got the magic item? But it's all already available and just kind of easily accessible from within the phone. I really like that idea. We have a local game store here and that actually does that via Discord. They have a, mm -hmm. you know, they have the Discord that's open to the players and those members of the monthly, I guess they have a monthly subscription. So they that there's access to that. But there's a private section for the game masters to work together, plan, mm -hmm. that good stuff. And every Wednesday they run uh, D&D. And it's great. It, it's a great system. I think like 70 people come out to play every week. And I think this app would help that. My follow-up question is what inspired you and your team to come up with an app like this? Like what was the motivating and driving factor? So Tabletop Town was actually started by our CTO and COO who are childhood best friends. And they live on opposite coasts. And one of them is an engineer and developer. The other is a UX UI designer. And they started doing this as a project to spend more time together. They both play D&D and kind of were thinking, oh, it'd be nice if we could actually play together again. I wonder how that would look like. And kind of pulling on the traditions. This isn't a new idea, though we're kind of the first mobile app that's designed for it. And it's kind of pulling on the traditions of like play by post in all the like forums and all that. And then there were like yep. Pokemon team, like RPGs back on like AIM Messenger yeah. and like going through all I the way no back. Shame. I was a part of some of those and my younger Ex days. And exactly. I still utilize it in my DMs. There should be no Discord. shame. Exactly. Um, and going all the way back to like chess by mail and so kind of pulling that in and thinking okay and this if you think like we were they came up with the idea and started this before COVID hit so they were thinking okay we're going to do this and it was just kind of a side project and then as online TTRPGs exploded during yeah. lockdown they thought oh okay people are actually going to want this now and that's kind of after that, that's when I came on and my friend came on and we kind of started building, going from there. I really, well, let me step back for a second. I've, I'm really, and I always feel this way when I hear about stories like this, where friends come together to play together, right? They, they do mm -hmm. something to play together and to kind of stick together. I, I have a special place in my heart for that because I think it's so genuine and I think it's so realistic to what we in the D&D community often face. And I would even say struggle with before, you know, pre-COVID, we always struggled with trying to meet in person. And then we mm -hmm. were forced to meet online. Yeah. And I think, and I would love to hear what your opinion is about this. If there's a silver lining to COVID, and I always think, I'm, I always try to, I don't want to keep it like toxically positive because I think there is that. Mm -hmm. I do want to say though, I think the positive thing about COVID was that it allowed us to say, okay, there are no excuses. We're going to play together. We have to, for our own sanity, mm -hmm. play together. 
play online, stream, do all that. It was, I, I, I don't know what you felt, but I felt the first two weeks to a month of COVID to be this really weird time where, oh, I'm going to play online like a two week stint, mm-hmm. watch Tiger King with my wife. And okay, that's it. And then when the month, first month came, huh, this is weird. I guess I'm going to play more D&D online. Oh, now we're in month four. Okay, now this is getting real. And now this is kind of shifting the psychology of players where we almost anchored to that. I I know for myself, I really held on to that online playing and DMing experience because it was what we had at the time. Mm -hmm. When a friend of mine was streaming online, I don't know if you experienced this, all like you, you know the memes where it's like when one homie does this we all go like it's kind of like that context of like like all the homies are are watching us like are supporting and streaming like that's what it was like if one person streamed we were all watching if one person played we were all playing and i feel like this app that you're talking about and that you're developing and that's in beta is kind of has the spirit of that I, i'm i know it sounds funny but when you really start to like get at the core of these type of technologies and, and really at the core of these companies that are popping up. I really feel that you can tell what the core is. And I feel like with your app, I, I mind you, I have not seen it. I haven't tested it. I would love to, by the way, I really would love to, but I feel like there's a genuine beauty in what you're doing. You're bringing people together because otherwise, I mean, again, I love discord. I really do. I think there's a great purpose with discord, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same as an app. Like there's not, it's like a Mm -hmm. central, like discord is a catch all versus I feel like with tabletop town, it is a, it's a central repository of role play where you can Mm -hmm. literally have years worth of campaign data in your phone and say, Hey, I've known this person for five years, because we're in this campaign together. And, oh, great, you know, we're going to meet uh, at Gen Con or something like mm-hmm. that. And then after Gen Con, we'll replay. Okay, it'll be like nothing, because we've always played. We've always played on this device called the phone. Yeah. So I really, and again, I'm sorry for the rant, but I really, <laughs> it's just, you know, just hearing about it, I, I really feel inspired. And I don't say that I try not to say that in a way that is not inauthentic. I really do feel like a lot of us in the community here really strive to have that authenticity in whatever we do. We have that kind of like, you know, artistic pride, so to speak. Yeah. But I have, you know, but it kind of leads me to one question. Mm -hmm. As you're developing this, what have been some of the roadblocks that you've really had to kind of put this critical thinking hat on and say to yourself, okay, how the hell am I going to get through this challenge? Yeah. Um, so I know at some point I'd also be happy if, if we want, we can circle back. Uh, I have also kind of an interesting take on the like long distance friendship. Then thing. actually let's, let's go with that. Um, let's, let's, okay. let's, let's. I'm also happy that. to talk about roadblocks, but no, yeah. we can let's, um, so let's take, let's table the roadblocks. I want to okay. hear what, 
I want to hear your theory on that and your experience with long distance friendships. So mine is pretty specifically unique. I grew up on the West Coast. I always went to summer camp, though, across the country in Maine. And so those friendships, I grew up writing actual long distance, like pen pal letters that would kind of fade throughout the year and then renew every summer. And I got used to the idea that friendships can be very true, very, very real, even if you don't see them a lot. And then high school hit and I went to boarding school, Um, not military, not a thing, just kind of like legacy thing. And Mm -hmm. I, so I went to high school in the Midwest, even though- my family was still on the west coast and I met a group of girls my fall of freshman year and so we had cell phones I had a cell phone I think two of the group had cell phones none of us had texting yet and we were at boarding school with and we kind of were forced to develop like not forced to but we developed like really intense friendships really quickly and then all left and well, then replace in a position to yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly and then i mean eventually the technology caught up and then we have always stayed in touch and they are still my best friends i'm going to one of their weddings in about 2 months um oh. but like this type of like long distance friendship is like such a core part of who i am because it's been that way since i was 14 and i've had to cope with not seeing my friends for long 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 periods of time and technology has made that so so much easier now and it's not these like bursts every time we see each other that's still very much the case but those friendships don't fade now because we can see each other we talk to each other we're always in each other's pockets still and then we you know I turned into adult I grew up um we all moved across the country and we are all kind of spread out around and so I already had that structure in place for long distance friendship and for developing ways to play games to like still like hang out remotely and that goes back to even years and years ago we found a cards against humanity simulator online where we would like pull up basically all of us we'd set up our cameras with like facetime in front of us and we'd all just like sit on the couch on like laptops in like four different states just like having a game night um and so then when it was like okay well then when game when like D started i think also especially you were talking about D during covid mm-hmm. and for me as well it was seeing other people that i wasn't living with So I didn't see them all the time because it was like a different personality. And then also the chance to kind of explore and play out and fully lean into the escapism of D&D. I think that's why my campaigns have the tone they do because everything it felt like was on fire. And so we were just like, all right, let's go here. You're going to meet a stoner dwarf named Jeff. All of my gnomes have very heavy Midwestern accents. And I don't know why they just always have because I can do maybe three accents. That's not my skill as a DM. And so just kind of leaning into that. And then I've only played one D&D game in person. I think I'd really like to play more in person, but I've always played D&D remote. It's all I know. Um, and So can, so, I, can, I, can I ask you a question though with the remote? Yeah. I'm Since you, I would say that you're an advocate for it. For those folks yeah. who are hesitant, 
about mm-hmm. remote play, what would you tell them as a convince, like uh, if you could say like two lines to convince them, what would be those two lines? Okay. Oh, I had a whole list and now you, you put me on the spot for two lines. So I really got to narrow that down. Um, I was going to say, if you have a D4, I can let you roll a D4. (laughs) It's in the other room. I have a D20 on hand, but not a D4. Um, I think, um, if I'm, if I'm boiling it down to two bullet points, I would say the connection is still there. And then the second is turn your cameras on. Please, please, people, <laughs> I beg of you when which, you're playing online. Which on. is actually also the interesting thing because like we don't have cameras built into the app, but sure. we're also Understood. not designed for audio and visual. Like it is a different style. So like for me, the having the cameras on is also when people are talking and I'm trying to get a read on the situation and I'm playing it back, you expect the visual feedback. Like I, yes. when I actually have the chance to play, I play bards. And so I respect college, it. Of, college of eloquence bard, the fact that you can't roll below a 20 for persu- persuasion or deception at level five is insane. Yeah, that's pretty, um, I don't want to say broken. It's actually pretty fun. It, yeah. Um, yeah. I, we pulled a bunch of NPCs into a quest. It's fine. Um, but <laughs> oh, um, I rolled a 30. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, made the DM create a new character sheet. Um, Legit. but having that kind of feedback is really, really important. But we are already used to reading and interpreting emotional feedback sure. from text messages. So it's a lot easier for me actually to see like a like a quest, a game being played out in chat and to know exactly what people are going for to read. We can also, in the app, you can talk in and out of character, which helps a lot sometimes to clarify things, but- You can or you can't? You can. You oh, can. Nice. I like that. In and out of character and then GMs can switch between NPCs to like talk in character as multiple NPCs. Oh, sweet. That's awesome. Um. Yeah. So it, it kind of- does read out like i know there are so many of these in various fandoms online of like just screenshots of like fake screenshots between characters and our games do read out like that which is always very fun um but like we're playing an in-company game i'm running a game of honey heist um for everyone because it was the easiest character sheets so when we first started that game we had very little we do have character sheets now um but when we started we really didn't and it was astonishing how quickly we all were able to say, okay, this is the pace of the game. This is how chatting in and out of character can make sense. This is how many times we need to like recap, if at all, like this is how it flows because we're already, although I talk to people and I talk to my best friends and I talk to everyone like face-to-face and on video calls all day long, we spend so much of our life communicating through text. Sure. That all of that shorthand, all of that emotional connection is already built into it. So then translating that to a campaign, you're like, oh, okay, I know what this means. I've seen this before. Like it's the, it's a different type, but it's the same exact role play. Now, with that being said, because mm-hmm. uh, I do agree with 
our involvement, our involvement with technology, but how we've evolved as well as humans to understand that. As a create, as someone with your uh, collegiate background, mm-hmm. do you feel that we as a human race, and especially in the tabletop industry, do you feel like we've kind of progressed too far and that there's still a beauty of having some of that, like, I don't want to say traditional, but for lack of better words, some of the traditional, like meeting in person, getting, you know, having that theater of the mind where we get to kind of see and, and mm-hmm. understand and, and all that. Do you think we're progressing a little bit too fast, too quickly? Or do you think we're kind of in the kind of the golden age where it's we have access to both so we can really utilize both efficiently and to its fullest extent? What are your thoughts on that? I think that for a moment, it looks like we were going to progress too quickly. Um, and I think the thing that slammed the brakes on it was COVID. I mean, cliche or not, that changed our world. Like, there is such a distinct delineation pre and post COVID, right? And that that lockdown specifically. And I think on the one hand, that meant that as we've talked about, it opened up so much in terms of digital communication, in terms of remote conversations, in terms of like starting these games and playing everything remotely and doing everything online. But it also kind of highlighted the valuable aspect of in-person communication. The first time I saw like my dad after lockdown, like I, I love that man so desperately, but then I saw him for the first time after lockdown and lost my mind because it had been so long. And it was like, I haven't seen you in person. And it kind of brought everything back of like, oh, these physical connection, like real connection, old fashioned, whatever you want to call it, that still really matters and is very, very important. But you can't ignore the ease of access and the opening of doors the digital communication brings. Yeah. And so having games, if I had to wait for a group of friends that I knew that were all in the same place, that were interested in playing D&D and had the time to sit down in the same physical location for six hours, I would not be playing D&D today. Because that would have been way too hard to get the, the people I knew started. But having this kind of opens doors to let so many more people into the world of TTRPGs, to let in people to the world of gaming, to open these conversations and start these games. And I think that can't, for all that we still love in-person play, for all that we still love face-to-face communication, you can't ignore the kind of swell of people that can come when we open doors to different, different types of play, different types of games. I also very much think that playing through Tabletop Town isn't going to necessarily replace all TTRPG playing. Like that's not the goal. We're not trying to replace people's longstanding in-person games. We're just trying to say that you can, for getting started, it's a lot easier. It's a lot faster. Um, It's a lot less intimidating to play five minutes here, five minutes there versus sit down for six hours. Um, and to play alongside to say, okay, these are the campaigns I've had going, or I want to get started with new campaigns. Let's like, I want to meet new people. I want to play with people I love who live across the world. Those things can coexist alongside quote unquote traditional gameplay. 
So you're saying, are we in a golden age? And I think we are because we have all of those technological advances that have come on in very recent years, the swell of technology that brings people together, but we also have a very recent memory and reminder of why physical connection, why in-person connection can be so, so important. I think something that you said that stood out to me and translated in my head to this state, I guess this, this hypothesis, technology and tabletop gaming coincide to enhance the experience of every player. In this case, and, and something beautiful that you mentioned about seeing your dad, you know, during, you know, I guess during mm-hmm. or post-COVID or, you know, however you want to define yeah. it. During the COVID times, let's just say it like that. Um, it was a, I'm, I'm, I can only imagine how beautiful of a moment that must have been and correlating that to tabletop where there is, oh, there, the in-person experience is going to be a completely unique one-of-a-kind experience because like I was saying earlier uh, before we were recording it is the quintessential campfire right it is the proverbial campfire where we sit around and tell stories that in 50 years you and your friends are going to say you know 30 40 50 years you're going to say to your friends hey remember that time when you uh I don't know I was able to deceive, uh, what was it? The stoner, uh, Jeff, the dwarf, Jeff, Jeff. you know, (laughs) remember that time? Oh, that was so fun. That was so great. And those are true memories. And I think whether it's virtual or in person, that's the difference. I think that those core memories are still translatable. And I, and I would, and I really love how you explained it for that person who's still a little bit skittish about incorporating technology into their game. Um, I am a really big proponent as a technologist myself that both are required, if not necessary to enhance the game, right? If you use, I don't know, OneNote, you're technically, I mean, you're obviously using technology. You're using OneNote. If you're using, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have handwritten notes in this section. Uh, of my world that I've built, homebrewed, since I was 10, 11. Just, I love that. It is notes upon notes. I just love building. I'm a world builder at heart. And a, I would say I'm a world builder at heart, a storyteller, and a dungeon master in that order. And actually it leads me to my next question. How do you see yourself? I know you're the perpetual dungeon master, fate weaver, mm-hmm. In fact, <laughs> in fact, um, I remembered. But how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself, especially you have your CEO title, and obviously now that is incorporated into your identity. I would even say I, I, I think a lot of people don't think about that, especially our generation. We we think of it like a different hat that we put on, but we're always in that role because you, as a CEO, myself as the CEO and COO of this company and podcast, I, I, I always wear the hat, but I never view myself as a CEO. I always view myself as a world builder first and then everything else. 
tell me, how do you see yourself, especially as the forever DM? Do you see yourself as the forever DM or do you see yourself as something else? I'm a storyteller. I have always been a storyteller. I mean, if I'm DMing, I'm DMing, I'm telling a story. If I'm playing, I'm a bard who in canon was a poet and I wrote a six page poet, like epic poem of our entire thing. And I actually did write that. That's awesome. I <laughs> I had to put the poetry degree to use somehow. Um, I, I had to put been... my history degree to use. Eh. Exactly. Exactly. I, I've always been a storyteller. I, I, when I was really little, that's all I did. That's all I ever wanted to do. And as I got older, when I realized that being an author was something you could do, that it was something that you could do for a living, for a job. Um, that's when I went, oh, that's what I want to do. And it's actually because my uncle wrote Winnie the Pooh for about a decade for Disney. Nope. And yeah, he wrote all of the short, all the books. He wrote all the TV shows. He did Rescue Rangers a bunch. Yeah. Um, awesome. And some of my early, early memories are waking up and he was one of the like three people I'd ever met who woke up before I did. And I'd wake up and he'd be in his office and he'd stop whatever he was doing, typing on his like ancient Mac. And he would sit down and we would tell stories. And that's all he did. Um, and this was your He uncle? actually, this was my uncle. Yeah. He, he actually had a collection of swords. Every time he won a major award, he'd buy himself a sword. And he passed when I was about nine and I inherited a good chunk of his swords. And so I have in my office not on camera or on the opposite wall, a, a sword wall, um, for my uncle. Um, That's but it. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I realized you could, I could write stories like that and I could say, okay, like this is something other people are interested in. This is something other people want to do. And you started building your world when I was, when you were 10, I was writing poems even then. And also I wrote, I tried to write my first novel when I was about 11 and I still have that somewhere. It is so bad um, because I was 11. Um, but it was very much the beginnings of, oh, okay, I want to do this forever. I'm going to do this forever. And all through college, like I, I do have a degree in poetry, but it was just kind of creative writing. I built out entire worlds. I have plotted in my the depths of my computer a three-part fantasy like a fantasy trilogy a YA sci-fi novel and an alternate history collection of short stories all completely plotted out and done and I kind of work on them when I'm not doing everything else um so CEO as you're I think you are correct CEO is not just a hat anymore mm -hmm. as much as I kind of think of it as just what I do but even even in this job I am telling stories. It's just now I'm telling our story and I'm saying, this is what we're doing. This is where we're trying to go. And I run our in-house campaigns. <laughs> Which... Well, that, that's first and foremost, it really seems like you, you've had the, the vocation for being a storyteller mm -hmm. through, yes. you know, I, as I've told the audience before is, I really believe that we all have a vocation in life. Sometimes we are able to understand that vocation and we're blessed to really live out that vocation. 
And other times we have to go through a really, you know, to a, a strenuous process to understand our vocation. But I think you found yours very young. My question is, if you would have been in, do you think rather that if D&D was introduced to you at the age of 10 or 11, mm-hmm. or if we were in the environment like we're in right now at our, you know, at 10 or 11, do you think you would have flourished more as a storyteller? Or do you think that you are a great storyteller because of the experiences that you had at a young age without said technology? Mm -hmm. So I think, first of all, I would have loved D&D, I think, at about age 10. I I grew up with um, a wonderfully, intensely nerdy mom who spoke Klingon and like that level of nerdy that's legit yeah um but D was like never part of it which is always fascinating to me especially because she was an engineer like math and then plus storytelling i get from my dad like it is the exact crux of those two things but i just never never got introduced um i think i would have loved it i think i would have been the forever dm from about 10 years old um looking especially at like you know all the games we played as kids because especially and i've now introduced um dnd to a couple of kids and they always love it it's always great but especially like when you're playing as a kid it is the exact same games I've played, we all played as kids, just make-believe and setting up the rules of your world and saying there are consequences here, like this is going to happen. And maybe there's some more math involved, but it's the same core game. And so I think the game itself probably would have helped my abilities as a storyteller, honestly, because I would have there is something wild the first time you DM, especially if like myself, I, you've been writing fiction your whole life. And for the first time, the characters fight back. And I was like, wait, no, you weren't supposed to find that out now. And you're like, oh, okay, wait, <laughs> there are other people in this world again. This hasn't happened since I was a kid playing these games with my friends. I think with technology, the way it is now, if I, so the second part of your question, if I was like 10 years old, in the world we're living in today how would have that affected my abilities as a storyteller correct i don't know how much the technology itself would have impacted it Fair enough. because writing i mean i scribbled all of my stuff out in notebooks when i was a kid and i have the exact equivalent of that now except it's in a very fancy word processor but it's the same information sure. except now i can hit control f which sure means my characters' names don't change, which is helpful when I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, that's the same person, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that spelling mutated. Um, but it's the same set of abilities. It's getting at. It's just a new set of tools. You know, one of the things I, I love um, looking back in the way of that humanity has always been humanity is there are, like newspaper and like book clippings of adults being like, oh, kids these days, no one knows how to write on a stylus anymore. What's going to happen when the paper runs out? They're not going to know how to write anything. 
Yeah. And it's that exact same thing of like, the tools we use to tell stories have may have changed. The stories themselves have not changed. The stories themselves will never change because that's who we are as people, as storytellers. Yep. We sit around, tell stories about each other. We look up at the sky and make up stories about that. That's just the nature of humanity. So the technology you have access to means that now I can Google things and find out, okay, this is how the world actually works. And this is how planets revolve around each other. And no, they can't do that actually, but you know, they can cause magic. Um, but sure. those have changed, but the ability to tell a story, the ability to connect people and relate and tell emotional beats and find the arcs within life, within these worlds we're creating, that hasn't changed. And I don't think that ever will. You mentioned tools mm -hmm. that you utilize and that are utilized in storytelling and in, and as in DMing, really. What are three or four of the, actually, let's do this. What are five of the tools I'll expand it a little bit more that you as a dungeon master really feel are critical to your tool set or tool belt, so to speak. My first one is that very fancy word processor I mentioned. Mm -hmm. I use Scrivener um, okay. and I have for years, I think it doesn't necessarily matter the word processor you use, but having something to organize everything um, especially for myself, I have folders within folders, within folders, within folders, and I'm actually going to move this really quick so I can even just pull mine up because it's a little excessive. Um, but having like session notes available that I can refer to, that I can link to each other, having that is the only way that I even stay kind of on top of my campaign. <laughs> So okay. the biggest one is, and it's also, honestly, if you are organized and are faster at writing by hand than I am, great. That works too. I am so much faster typing these days, unfortunately. So typing, so like fancy word processor it is. The second is very specific to being a digital DM. Um, and that is... Uh, some sort like you need to have at least for myself and the players that I run for having some sort of map system um, my players in general are pretty tactical and think mm -hmm. and a theater of the mind is a lot harder to manage especially with five pcs um, and trying to do that is a lot harder for everyone they want to see okay well I want to get behind here I want to hide over here I want to do this and so and everyone has spells so also it's like well what's what's I want to set a circle that's 30 feet in diameter, but I have a range of 60 feet on that. How many people can I hit? It's a yeah. lot easier if I put them on a map and I'm like, you figure it out. Very um, wargamey like. Yes, very, very much so. So I play on Foundry. Um, I okay. have for ages. Um, I have spent a lot of time customizing Foundry and a lot of time on Reddit with people saying these are the, the best ways to customize it, but going through pulling all of the maps um, until pretty recently, I was running pre-written campaigns. And so now I'm in entirely homebrewed. And so having a set of like maps that I can pull from and places that I can drop on and tokens saves me so, so much time. So word processor, map system of some kind, especially if you have players like mine. Um, 
I think other kind of big, like those are the two that I'm like, you need these to run a game. Outside of that, if we're getting into like things that I find I specifically need to run games, um, having, I mean, I have ever, like all of my source books, everything like that, which is almost, I don't even think worth mentioning in the top five, because how else are you playing if you don't have the source material for whatever game it is? Um, also, I am so glad all of mine are digital because in my campaign, there is a druid and trying to manage all the characters. She runs her own summons, thank God, but just knowing what her spells do is yeah. a lot. Um, so that, what else do I have kind of at all times? Um, because my game is run on the Sword Coast, I found an interactive map that lets you drop pins that tells you how oh, cool. far things are. And then tells you if they're traveling by foot, if they're traveling by griffin, if they're traveling by boat, this is how long it's going to take them. Oh, that's awesome. Having, yes. <laughs> having that available at the drop of a hat when in-game we kind of shortcut it um, and refer to it in my game as bird math. Because one time the player spent genuinely 20 minutes trying to figure out if they were all turned into giant eagles how far they could get um and so it is now just bird math um that is a very having... player thing yes I love and it. i was sitting sitting in the corner like you're not supposed to get there yet i don't have that city built out please decide you can't get there um but having that is insanely insanely helpful for me um also a um like a set of tables which is always for when players you know decide to go fully off script and i'm like okay we're gonna have some encounters in the woods whatever having tables not just for random encounters i think that's four um not just random encounters but uh, i found a magic shop generator which is very nice. very fun and helpful and like loot tables stuff like that everything to kind of shorten everything possible and then um the entirety of the Forgotten Realms wiki. That website is a game changer and a lifesaver for someone like me who came in, didn't have all the background floor, and then all of my characters are from different parts of Faerun. Okay. And, well, and also some of them not even from the material plane. Um, I've got a Water Genasi, who was like, I'm going to have a very much like Zuko from uh, Last Airbender, yes. like redemption storyline. And I'm going to get into the politics of like interplanal war. And I was like, okay. That's like that you just brought that to like Game of Thrones level. Yeah. Political. Um, keep in mind, this was told to me when I had been running a game, uh -huh. I think for maybe six months. I was a baby DM and it was like, this is what we're going to do. And I was like, all right, <laughs> time to step up. Yep. Um, <laughs> we're going to get real. Let's go. <laughs> if that wasn't a challenge, I don't know what is. Yeah, that's, but I'm not surprised. That's D&D. &D. That's like, <laughs> yeah. that is, it's really one of the most D&D &D and I would even say Pathfinder type things because it's built in 
to the mm-hmm. table that if that's really built into the table into those in the core mechanics and culture of D and pathfinder is that level of detail yeah and i mentioned uh kind of game of thrones in the political intrigue aspect and i and i wanted to ask you this as a storyteller do you often find yourself pulling you know s- storytelling styles from your favorite authors and if oh, so thousand percent if so which ones yeah um one thousand thousand percent um so you mentioned lord of the rings um lord of the rings was kind of not my first love of fandom because i think i was in about middle school when did when did the first lord of the rings movie come out do you think it's 2001 2001 yeah um so i was 11 when that first movie came out and Mm. my mom said i know how you are with cliffhangers and the fact that you cannot handle them i will take you to see that movie if you read the entire trilogy so i read the hobbit and the entire trilogy of books in i think a week and a half and i said okay i'm ready let's go and we went and i never looked back on lord of the rings um i actually have a smog tattoo of um because those those movies are the movies and the books they're incredible um but i pull much more hmm? no i'm sorry go ahead because i was going to go on a rant about how people crapped on the hobbit films and i was like i actually like them but i was going to go on a rant so (laughs) don't mind me please that is totally fine um when they they released return of the king in theaters recently again for the anniversary Mm -hmm. and i definitely went and saw it and it was like oh no i guess i have to watch the first two again oh Oh, no (laughs) oh no don't force me uh, to watch this over and over again. <laughs> Snuggle, I broke a blanket, yeah. cup of coffee. Just I broke my I broke my collarbone between high school and college, and I was stuck doing workouts on an elliptical for an entire summer in yeah. pre- preparation for like college athletics for the first time. And I watched not just all of the Lord of the Rings extended editions, but also all of the behind the scenes content. Um, that's when you know you're a true nerd when you get the four disc special edition and you go to the other two discs that everyone avoided Uh uh-huh and then watch yeah but back to the original question um so i think i i said my my campaigns tend to fall along the lines of princess bride in terms of tone Mm -hmm. they're very funny like i said all of my gnomes are midwestern and in fact gnomish gnomish is just really thick midwestern slang um (laughs) and i (laughs) i love it i tend very much to go rule of cool especially if it's not repeatable so and i'm very generous with magic items i figure that's why we're playing it here have the weird stuff go go crazy and then i just kind of smack my players in the face sometimes um with like bringing it back down um early on in one of our campaign one of the campaigns i run they I was a baby DM and didn't know how to keep my players alive so I tended to throw NPCs in the way so that they stayed alive and they were having a grand old time we were like it was like jokes 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 were flying and they came back to town after having been gone away and a monument had been erected for all the people they'd lost and so they just saw a list of the names of every NPC that they 
like that had died and then also other people who had like died in like fires and stuff like that, that they hadn't even known and the dead silence that hit the table is unlike anything else I've ever heard of just like oh and I was like yeah there are consequences in this world do you want to get yep. back to midwestern gnomes now um yep there are I, good bad and neutral consequences to every yeah. character actions but I think that's also why I say Princess Bride, because it's like that same level of like jokes, 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 everything's fun. And then you're like, oh, God, this is a very intense moment. And it hits harder because of that. But I think the other. The kind of biggest influence, two influences I pull from are two authors, two of my favorite authors. One is outside of Tolkien. Um, one is. um Robin McKinley, who is a fantasy author, who specifically wrote a book called The Blue Sword that I read so many times in middle school that I had the first two pages memorized. And I've had multiple dreams where I'm the main character. Um, and That's it's kind good. of a standard fantasy chosen one, except she's a girl. And then there's a bunch of swords and she's not traditionally feminine. And she swings a sword. They've tried to adapt it. They've tried to buy the rights to adapt it into a movie multiple times. And she's always said no because they keep trying to make it a guy. And she's like, no, you don't get the point of this. Also, her name is Harry. Um, and so they're like, what if it's just a guy? And it's like, no, that's the entire point. Okay. We're just not yeah. going to make it. Um, but One of her reasons books... why anime, some animes don't get adapted well because something like Sword Art Online, that Asuna was mm. that badass character and heroine. Mm -hmm. And it was the counterweight to um, Kirito, which mm -hmm. for, the, for the fellow weebs out there, I hope you don't butcher my pronunciation <laughs> in the comments. I am, I, I grew up a poor Cuban boy, so I bring a lot of Spanish accents into Japanese pronunciation, so I apologize. But what I'm trying to say is, yeah. That I can see where yeah. that's frustrating because yeah. that's not true to the lore of the of the book. Mm -hmm. I've never read it and I want I would yeah. love to read it so that I can give it to like no I would love to read it so that my daughter can be inspired and read it and then she yes. and she could be like, Dad, look at this. Do you know what this is about? And I could be like, Yes, in fact I do. Um, um it'd be that cool dad. Genuinely, if you want other recommendations for your daughter, I yes, please, grew we... up on a steady influx of like intense fantasy with a lot of female heroines. Yeah, because... if you don't, if you don't mind after yeah. the show, I would love to yeah. kind of pick your brain on that. And actually, I... maybe even on the show, what we can do is this: what would be some of your top? I get like, what would be some of your top authors and and stories in that same light? Mm -hmm. And a daughter. I want her to be raised in that. I want her to be raised in the fantasy and D&D &D, if she chooses. Obviously, I don't want to force mm -hmm. it. Yeah. What are some of the books that you recommend for someone like her? Let me finish the first question Yes. yes really sorry. quick, and then I will carry back because they do overlap. Perfect. So um, the unexpected influence for my D&D &D stuff is Agatha Christie. Okay. Um, my players really like puzzles. They like mysteries. And so who better than the all-time best-selling author other than Shakespeare, the queen of crime herself, Dame Agatha Christie. Um, 
and specifically pulling from the not as famous ones because then no one's read them and I can pull clues I can pull entire things like direct from those pages and then they can go around and solve a mystery themselves um so I always love doing that it's also a very always a fun side quest if I'm like need to slow it down a little bit I'm like here have a little sprinkling of mystery go go solve this um and then that also became harder once they could animate dead um and then you're like okay well why don't you know who killed you um <laughs> murder mysteries are very hard in dnd i've tried i've kind of figured it out i also did a mini arc based on wandavision speaking of um yeah where they all became fairy tale creatures or fairy tale oh, cool. characters and then every day, whoever beat the wisdom save was aware that something was wrong and they were trying to figure it out. Kind and like then at the end of it, yeah, they all were a different class. I made different classes of each character for them. And then at the end of it, they each got a magical tattoo with one element from that class. So they can all do really cool, weird stuff now. Um, That's legit. Yeah, that was very fun. Um, uh, but the kind of last big author that I pull from and the one I would highly, highly recommend for your daughter. Her name is Tamara Pierce. She has been writing since the 80s. 99% of her main characters are girls. And um, she writes in two main universes. Um, it's the Circle of Magic universe and the Tortle universe. Circle of Magic's a lot smaller, but has some of the most unique uses of magic I've ever seen. Um, it's very, very fascinating. It's about a group of basically trauma-bonded kids <laughs> and going through it. Um, I adored, adored those books when I was younger. But then the other one, the Tortle Universe, and I can pull it off because it's right here. Ugh. I was given this by my mom when I was 11. It's called Protector of the Small First Test. The lead character's name is Kaladri. She goes by Kel. So you can imagine why I loved this so much. Specifically, she is a girl who wants to become a knight and she is the first official female knight, potential female knight, um, because there was a previous one, but she'd been pretending to be a boy. It's a whole thing. And she is like sturdy. She is basically stoic. Um, she's super athletic, but like not cute, pretty athletic, just like built like a rock. Um, and she like she owns her earns her name protector of the small and she can't stand bullies and i adored her so desperately um also all of tamara pierce's like lead her heroines are all entirely entirely different she has some that are very traditionally overtly feminine some like cal that are distinctly not some that kind of run the gamut and they all go through puberty which was really good for me reading them in middle school and being like oh like they get crushes like thing you know they like actually deal with stuff um and they all do it differently they are very distinct this is a world populated by magic and by a bunch of people but the stories are almost always about girls and they are truly incredible i've recommended her to so many women i know and all of them fall in love and say okay this is great my dad started reading her very I want to say not even that long ago but he was like looking for book recommendations and I was like well you know my favorite and he started reading it's like oh this is actually really good and I was like yeah dad I've been reading her for over a decade like just because just because I was 11 doesn't mean I didn't have good taste 
he was like, oh, um, other Robin McKinley, like I already said, is great um, in terms of like female heroines. Um, I'm looking kind of through my like fantasy stuff. There is a quartet um, of books and it's called The Enchanted Forest Chronicles. Um, and the first one is called Dealing with Dragons. Um, and they're by Patricia C. Reed. Had okay. to go look. Um, it is about a princess who decides she doesn't like being a princess. It's boring and goes and hires herself out to a dragon. Okay. Um, yep. <laughs> I, like that. I, I like that idea, though, because the trope is always that the dragon is mm-hmm. hoarding and protect, not protecting, but hoarding and keeping the princess away. Actually, like I saw this uh, little online internet comic where it was the dragon fighting every night and then the dragon would come back to the tower and then the dragon would say hey this this guy's not worth it like they were actually in on <laughs> yeah. it together uh-huh. and she was like yeah okay no problem you can eat him things like that <laughs> and then yeah. what i loved about it was where one of the, the knights actually like removed his helmet laid down his weapon and said hey like i'm here to do i was here to slay you but i don't even know who you are as a dragon like i don't think it's right not knowing and understanding mm-hmm. the the that was the kind of like the oh okay you should meet the princess and that's kind of yeah. what it was a really yeah i like those tropes but without yeah, Sibirine, that, uh Simmerine actually fights off her own knights because they keep trying to rescue her. And she's like, no, I don't want to be rescued. Go away. I, and I I, I, will, I appreciate that. It's one of the reasons that I actually, this is probably going to be very unpopular to the Disney adults in the audience. I am not a fan of Disney. Mm-hmm. I think the tropes are just out. I don't want to even say outdated. They're boring to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. My kids, like, you know, my, my kid loves, you know, some of the Disney movies. I get it. She's also, you know, very, very young. So for her, Finding Nemo is great. Mm-hmm. That's more Pixar Disney than, than Disney, excuse me. But I really think that some of the things that we deal with in our generation, we grew up with the Pocahontas, the Little Mermaid. We grew up with all these things that first and foremost, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but according to like, Grimm's fairy tales like it's a completely different story first and foremost oh yeah little so, so I completely different I grew up in Germany um okay. for a while and uh yeah Little-fairy the German version or of... just hmm? what was it oh no um my dad had the opportunity basically to work with the tech company there and said might as well yeah. <laughs> so I... we went to Germany for a little while yeah what part Munich okay awesome Mm-hmm. Um, so you were saying, so you grew up in Germany and it was going to, I think it was going to lead to like oh, fairy tales. German fairy tales. Yeah. Um, the German fairy tale versions are wild. Um, to say the least, you have to think of like the reason the German fairy tales, especially are like that is because they're all, you know, little red riding hood is so gruesome because it's like, Hey, don't go wandering in the woods. Wolves will eat you. Yep. Um, same with Hansel and Gretel. Like, don't, you know, like but little mermaid in particular is so such an an actual heart-wrenching tragedy 
yes. the original like fairy tale. You know what? I, I think kind of I don't think there's no there's a need to say spoiler alert because they've been out for a while. But <laughs> um I mean her ending is horrific. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, she turns into sea foam or something like that. I she does. Um also walking on land is agony for her the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. But she turns into sea foam. It's I mean, it is true, like she gives it up and turns into it. Um the Cinderella stepsister thing is the worst that i that i'm not too i have not read or studied Um, it's it's gory i mean i'm happy to talk about it but also it's like to try to fit in the slippers they cut off parts of their feet um Ah. and then they have their eyes pecked out by birds see (laughs) folks this is why i don't necessarily support or watch a lot of the Disney stuff because I know what the true background is. It's these fairy tales that they're really just, don't get me wrong. If you want to read those fairy tales, go ahead. You're more than welcome to. Obviously you're, you know, for the most part, the audience here, they're consenting adults. You can do that on your own. However, I know myself well enough and I know my child well enough and when she grows up, she's going to want to know this, which is fine. Totally acceptable. But I would rather her have the influence. That's actually, she loves Moana. She loves that mm-hmm. movie. And part of me really wants to think because not only the bright colors and the stimulus of, or the stimuli of the actual um, movie itself. But I, deep down inside, also think that it's a story that she can relate to. And maybe one day, and, you know, subconsciously, she mm-hmm. can relate to. I don't know if there's any psychological evidence to, to support that. But for me, at least, I remember as a kid seeing, I was very influenced, I'll be honest. I seeing, I mean, the 10, 11-year-old seeing Aragorn in Lord of the Rings and being like, that's badass. Mm-hmm. And that is so, like, that's who I want to be. I want to be this man who fights for his friends, laments his friends, but is like, I will go, I would have gone to Mordor with you. Like, that line as a 10-year-old gives me the same emotion as it does now. Now, obviously, a little bit more intense because I do have, you know, I've been in personal situations where I've, I've, been able to kind of say that and do in 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 its own context but i I really truly believe that media and especially storytelling allows that person to be who they truly are again when you see a movie you can relate to it things of that nature but that i don't know that my long-winded rant to say that it's one of the reasons why disney in my opinion this the it's almost like a churn and burn of story of like Prince, you're putting a princess, you're writing a, a princess, quote, in this damsel in distress mode. Do we really need that as storytellers? Or can we write some really badass stories? Hence the reason people, as the kids say nowadays, they sleep on uh, fantasy books. They sleep on anime mm-hmm. where you have predominantly strong female characters and leads in these so- this was kind of i think in general media does it a lot better these days um Mm. but trying to find 
like I was a super active kid um, and trying to find female characters like that was really hard. Like, yes, Lord of the Rings was foundational for me, but you only have Arwen and Eowyn. And side note, I think the line that hit me the way that the Aragorn line hit you was, um, what do you fear, my lady? A cage? Like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, wow. That I saw, when I saw that, I my entire soul just like perked up and listened. And I was like, oh, she gets me. Um, but there aren't, there weren't female characters like that. My favorite movie, honestly, for Disney was The Lion King because Nala was so cool and she did stuff. And, but I think trying to find that in visual media when I was a kid was really, really hard. There weren't many girls that did things. And there are so many more now, which is a lot better. But um, my mom in particular did a very intentional job of finding books for me that were about girls of all types, from all types of situations. And also trying to make sure, because there was in the 90s, the like girl power movement Mm -hmm. which sometimes had the double-edged sword of like anything feminine is weak and like be strong be independent you know don't don't be like traditionally feminine in any sense of the word and so also trying to show me like no sometimes like that's not bad either you can do all of the things but we tend to be extreme on both sides yes where my sorry no, no, no. I was just going to say we tend to be extreme on both sides. And I think where you're going at is somewhere I think you and I agree upon. It's, you know, it's good to be both. It's okay mm-hmm. to be both because both part, it's like you need your, you need both sides of your brain. You need your left and your right. You need mm-hmm. both lungs to, to fully function same way. Yes. Um, And so I think also then my mom addressed that with I was raised on like the interesting like cross diet of like Heinlein like traditional fantasy like feminist fantasy and like Louisa May Alcott Mm. and like was fed all of those books in equal measure um and seeing the like very kind of mix of things that came together but the one I wanted to call out is um going back to Robin McKinley who wrote The Blue Sword but she also wrote a series of books twisting fairy tales on their head and specifically um Rowan, it's right off camera but it's uh called outlaws of sherwood okay. which i was obsessed with robin hood obsessed um i read every robin hood book i could find i watched every robin hood movie i could find i even watched the not good at all kira knightley princess of thieves movie and i adored it i wanted to be her like i was just like Robin Hood was my identity for a solid chunk of time. I hear that. And Outlaws of Sherwood posits that Robin Hood isn't a good archer. He accidentally kills those deer. It's Marion who is the incredible archer. And it's Marion and Robin and their best friend, uh, Much. And the three of them start like the whole Outlaws of Sherwood thing, but Robin is the pessimist. He becomes the very unwilling figurehead for this movement. And he's like digging a latrine 
he is like so much more obsessed with the practicalities and Marion is like, I'm going to like run through the court. I'm going to rally the people to your cause. And which is like out here, like I'm praising your name. I'm going to raise the banner. We're going to run an underground movement. And Robin is just like, how did I end up here? And like that visual of like made Marion like that. I was like, Oh, that's who I want to be. Like, this is it. This is exactly it. <laughs> there's a lot of you see because the thing is like there's a lot uh, i'm gonna go back to tolkien for a second in the books in the cimmerillion a lot of i think a lot of people have only seen the film so they don't and and maybe some people have read the books but then that's it they don't they, they don't go beyond to the cimmerillion where they talk it talks about Galadriel how powerful of an individual she was. She was the most powerful elf of her time, mm -hmm. if not beyond that. You know, Baron and Luthien, the, they were the typology of Aragorn yeah. Arwen. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and, and just really seeing a lot of that, again, very powerful, well-known figures that, I mean, from a Lord of the Rings perspective, Galadriel denied Fan I think it was Feanor when he made the three Cimmerils mm -hmm. for her and she was like no I can tell why you're doing this because you're evil at heart truly you're just a piece mm -hmm. of crap um to not say another word no it's in my podcast I can say what I want it's a <laughs> shit sorry <laughs> forgot about that for a second I was like wait a minute this is my podcast um he was a piece of shit person so and then Piping, you know, kind of switching to how Gimli, and and again, I think it's very well known in in our in our nerd culture, where Gimli didn't want anything but three locks of her hair. Mm -hmm. Same thing that Feanor had asked for, and he was going to give her the Simrils, but she he didn't require anything. He was just so enamored by her beauty that Gimli, just and again, beautiful lines. The movies were so great. The books were better, in my opinion. But Tolkien also has a weird way of writing where he goes on that 30-minute tangent. Probably why I relate a little bit to it because I do tend to go on tangents. I don't know. That, that's just me. I'm also a huge Frank Herbert. So, like, going to sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Oh. Dune was my... Dune, I, I tried to read too young. Um, And that was rough. Yeah. I was... Oh, yeah. I'm talking, like, nine years old. Um. What? Yeah. So this was like a recurring problem I had was trying to read books too young because I could technically read them, but like I was not ready for them. Yeah. And my, so Dune was one dad, of those where I was like. My dad had to put a stop on some stuff because Dune was one of the books that I was like, oh, let me gravitate towards that. My dad was like, yeah, no, hell no. Um, Especially with yeah. the sequels. Oh, and yeah. The sequels were really rough because, and, and I'll just, spoiler alert. Um. <laughs> there are oh my gosh i'm trying to remember uh paul paul's mother she was in uh, her organization um i'm trying to remember i'm having a, a lapse in memory anyway um the organization that her mom that paul atreides's mom is in that kind of secret uh mm -hmm. the bene Gesserit, that's it um mm -hmm. they in the sequels they basically manipulate men through certain actions. Let's just 
say mm-hmm. it like that. And it's very graphic. Like you can just tell Frank Herbert had some therapy he needed to go to because he used that as he mm-hmm. expressed it in mm-hmm. his writing. Very much like, I think the, the well, the explanation that uh, George R. R. Martin uses in his writing, mm-hmm. that's very, very graphic. Personally, I, I get where he's coming from. Oh, it's a medieval fantasy, low magic. This would happen. Not necessarily. Like, so I'm as a cultural historiographer by trade, yes, there some of that would happen. But it was a percentage of times that would happen because of the influence of various religions of Judaism and Christianity and Islam. There was a certain there, there was in those pockets the aspects that he spoke about, but for 90% of the population, very much like it is today, you didn't hear, you you don't see that often. And again, mind you, there's also a lot of like religious fear within all those three. And then obviously like you have your paganism and you have all this, like all that still had a cultural, like "Mm, probably shouldn't. Some of the stuff that he expresses in his books, eh, that was a no-go in our today's society too. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I like George R. R. Martin's political intrigue writing, the way he like the lore that he writes. And I think this is something mm-hmm. Dungeon Masters, I don't know if you agree with this, but as a Dungeon Master, I typically like to borrow his political intrigue and his lore building. I really like having, you know, on my one note, I basically have like, oh, this country run by this person, and these are the supporting houses. These are the houses mm-hmm. that don't mm-hmm. support. And then these are the houses that are neutral, that people have to gain favor. Because some of my players like to play the political intrigue. They're very adamant about influencing. And especially now, most of them are at level 10 in my in-person. We've mm-hmm. been playing for two years, and they're at level 10 right now. Uh, they have a lot of court influence, to say the mm-hmm. least. So they like to kind of mess around with it. But other than that, there's, I don't know, there's certain lines that I don't cross. Now, from your perspective as a game master, especially you mentioned earlier um, that you homebrew a lot of your stuff. Mm-hmm. What are some of the lines that you don't cross in the regards of like world building and storytelling um, and you don't have to go into too much detail, but like, what are some of the lines? Like, do you say, ah, I like this author, but I don't like what they do in this regard. I'm not going to take that. You meant, or, you know, like kind of like critical role. Yeah. It's actually a perfect example. I love Matt Mercer and what he does, but these three things I'm not going to take into my game. What would yeah. be those three things? Um. So I think that is, like we've kind of both mentioned it, although we haven't, I don't think said it explicitly of how much as a dungeon master or game master, your game is driven by what your players are interested in. You're pulling political intrigue because your players are interested in that. I have a lot of mystery because that's what my players are interested in. Um, And I think that is, and that goes the same thing of like, what are you, what lines are you not willing to cross? Um, There was a great, 
toolkit put out just the safety ttrpg safety toolkit that came out oh, a yeah. few years ago that. yeah that that pulls from some things and those are conversations we had in our session zeros of i need to know kind of are there specific things you cannot have in in your game for whatever reason and uh quick side note we are it's not currently in the app but we have full plans and development to integrate the safety toolkit into tabletop town as a way of like playing cards. So the cards and for people who are familiar, it's like the X card system and also lines and veils. So, you know, in advance, and then you can also be like, okay, something happened in game and it's completely anonymous, but you can be like, I, we need to stop talking about this or we need to go back. Um, because I have also been a player in games where something has come up and because of like my backstory, because of like, I think partly it was the fact that like, I am a woman in like these D&D games. My GM was a guy and he didn't, he read something as threatening and I read it as like deeply personal and creepy as like something a villain was doing. And I had to like side DM him and I was like, hey, I'm okay with where we went. I can't go like, that's the limit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was one of those things of just like, yeah, personal biases take, take situations like so, so intensely differently. Um. And so we are trying hard to build that. I think the kind of, the first thing is um, my players like tend to play for escapism or like we're all there for like an escapism game. And so I know that for some like tables, games can be super cathartic and like taking down systems and taking down corruption or addressing systems of inequality. And we don't have those. Um, we... Basically, I don't have any of the like traditional, like anything racist. There are no like some, you know, some tables it's leaning into like old high fantasy tropes mm -hmm. and like all orcs are evil. And so then anyone who plays a half orc is going to face a lot of discrimination, a lot of stuff like that. And I don't have that yeah, um, because that's not what we're there for. Um, so I don't have that. And I mean, not getting explicit, but no sexual violence of any kind. Not like, even alluded. No. Yeah, not yeah. even alluded to. It's just, nope. Nope. I don't know um, if actually <laughs> still do that. And I think the people that have, I I know, just from, I'm not saying that I'm a big shot in the regards. I, I just keep my ear to the ground. And the people who have alluded to that in like the streaming, they have been pretty much like, you know scarlet lettered so to yeah. speak which is good i mean i, I there's yeah. no there's no space for that shit in 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 this i don't know sorry tangent over but there's yeah but, no but yeah. no i 100 percent agree um but those are my kind of like biggest things um as of right now i haven't put a lot of political intrigue in my games Though I think that is less of a, I don't want to, and more of a, I don't have the experience in having done this yet. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot harder for me to add it in. And so when I'm looking at, like we said, critical role, like thinking of specifically campaign two and like the sweeping, like pol politics of that mm -hmm. situation yeah. and all of this stuff that's like brewing under the surface and was fascinating to watch. And as a DM, I would be so exhausted tracking all of that and having that going. And 
that's not the part of the DMing that's like fun for me because that's not where my brain naturally goes. Yeah, that it it takes a lot of mental energy. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, this is something I deal with because I run a very West Marcha style game. So mm-hmm. a lot of my players want a little bit of everything. So I have to do a little bit of everything. And especially depending on the level, because I pretty much use the system of the the different, you know, the four tiers. Level five, uh, you're a local hero. Level mm-hmm. 10, you're a nationally recognized hero for sure. Like you are known in that region, that nation. Level 15, now you're getting to an international hero, right? You are kind of mm-hmm. the the Indiana Jones of the world, so to speak. Or even better, the Luke Skywalker of the galaxy. And by level 20, the gods are peak, have peaked interest. Mm-hmm. So because yeah, yeah. of that, at the different levels, you kind of, and again, kind of in this case, I would say as a game master, you do put on different hats. You got to put on the yeah. silly role play. Like sometimes you have to have, it's always, in, it's always sunny in Philadelphia or yep. it's always sunny in Faerun. Like you kind of have to have that. And then you have to have your, kind of like what you mentioned earlier, where the players understood their, you know, realized, oh, there's consequences. Um Jokes are great. Jokes are great, you know, but then you have, I don't know, it's a weird transitionary time. And I think it takes a mental, I'm not going to say my brain's wired that way. I think I naturally have a, I will do this, but I'm going to get burnt out eventually. Like almost that type of like, like I know the consequence is coming. I'm just like going to get burnt out. Got to take a break. I, I tend to have multiple trains of thought going at once and I tend to like skip between them like tracks. Um, but yeah, I think, I think if my players were more interested in like larger political intrigue and things like that, and I think they are kind of heading that way right now. So I'm going to have to be, because now we're at the part you know, they're level 13, we're kind of getting into everyone's backstory. So as I already alluded to, like, there is some heavy political stuff going on in there. And so I think I am now having to like, start to sew those threads. And I'm like, oh, okay, (laughs) well, it's time to do something new. But also like, it's not coming for a long, long time, but I'm looking like way down the road. We've already talked as a whole group. And once this campaign ends and it's going to be at level 20, I'm going to start another entirely homebrewed campaign. It's going to be another like one to 20. Um, and that one's going to be a spell jammer. Ooh, um, fun. Yeah. Uh, specifically leaning into like treasure planet, that like very niche time period where they yes. were like Titan AE as well. Yes. Like really great like pirates in space looking at stardust does the same thing um like that exact vibe is like i think scratches an itch in like the brains of like all of my players and so we're like yes we're gonna do that exactly and so i'm like looking way down yeah exactly so i'm looking way down um i i think kind of looking at like world building that it's like okay i can't with that Um, I actually kind of like looking and like switching genres. My other like true love of fandom is Star Wars. Um, Like deeply, deeply love. And specifically also going back to like female characters. 
like Leia is my one of my favorite female characters of all time and not insignificant yeah and not insignificant part of that is uh just Carrie Fisher um my car is named Leia um yes. but uh it's specifically also that Leia is at all times a beautiful tiny ball of rage like she is Pretty just much. like so fed up and frustrated with the situation at all times and sometimes just with herself like her entire relationship with Han is like her just being so mad at herself for being attracted to this guy and I think that is like one of the funniest things of all time um and it's it's like so so good George Lucas is so good at building worlds yes at the exact same and like coming up with story arcs at the exact same time george lucas is such a bad screenwriter that's where i think he did i what should have happened in my opinion is that he should have had like a dave filoni be his screen and a john favreau do his, be well, his screenwriters well emperor empire strikes back there's a reason the dialogue in that movie is good, and it's because George Lucas did not write it. Yes. Um, like he didn't have to wear all the hats. All love scenes. His, he's not good at romantic dialogue, hence you get lines like sand. Um, and so of course, everywhere. Ex exactly. Ex exactly. So kind of I, I think there is this unfortunate notion in like modern not even just fantasy but like fantastical storytelling of all genres that everyone has to be a Tolkien because yes. Tolkien invented world system he like languages he invented worlds he invented everything from the ground up like he yeah. is the OG which is incredible you have to spend your entire life doing that like Which that was did. his entire it he did, but like that's all you can do if that's what you're doing. And he because that is all he did. And we get, you know, one of the greatest epics. But this idea, and you see it, there was like a period of time, I'm gonna say in the like early 2000s that was when the movies came out. So there was this like renaissance of like Tolkien, like admiration and love that fantasy novels coming out during that time have this unfortunate habit, in my opinion, of half inventing languages. Yes. And then also feeling the need for like, okay, well, I need full maps. I need languages. I need everything to have a separate name. I need to use like nothing, like no words we recognize. I need to have like to go into in-depth backstories for every side character and have everything. Yep. And then even more backstories are published on my blog. And you don't need it. You don't. Yeah. For a good story, you do not need that much information. So I think... The, the the clearest line I draw for myself when I'm pulling from inspirational sources is to draw a line, is to say, this is enough. Mm. Like, I don't need to keep going. If I'm writing, like I said at one point, I have like an entire fictional trilogy, fantasy trilogy plotted out. I go into stupid minutia in that. I do. 
that is also something that I do not have a time limit set for myself on. I am running a campaign twice a week. Yeah. Uh, And this is also where I go back to the, like my DM tools of having the forgotten realms wiki. Like I really enjoy working and like playing and writing in a world I've that's already been built. So I don't have to invent all of this. And I think when I moving forward, when I start homebrewing for like Spelljammer, um, because also we're going to be pulling, I think, elements from Starfinder for like spaceship battles and stuff like that. Because ironically, fifth edition Spelljammer didn't write any right. combat for yeah. space yeah. ships yeah. find each other. So we're going to be pulling from Starfinder. Um, Respect. But, <laughs> but because of that, like, I'm, I think I'm going to have to learn like, okay, that's enough. Like that's enough world building. That is enough. And like, like that's also where improving as a DM comes up, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm not going to be able to predict. I'd rather be able to predict a lot of the bigger stuff. I like having maps because my players are insane about distances. Um, once you can turn into wind, at least there's a set number because the Druid has yeah. wind walk. So I have a set number of, I think it's 240 miles a day. And I'm like, okay, I know that. So if I do things in blocks of 240, but like. But you, yeah. you hit the nail on the target though. Like you hit the or nail on the head, excuse me, where you, you stated that's enough. And I think mm-hmm. that's perfect. That is a perfectly good answer. That is enough. You don't have to work like going back to George Lucas, great world builder. I mean, fantastic when it came to the books that he gave the green light on back from mm-hmm. eight, you know, seventies, eighties. Mara Jade. Like, yes. Mara, Mara Jade's one of my favorites. Yes. Mara. When Disney acquired Lucasfilms and when I heard what the sequels were going to be, I was like, you lost the opportunity to have Mara Jade, who was one of the most badass villain type individuals mm-hmm. turned good for lack of better words <laughs> because it's not you like I don't want to say she's she, a, she's goody two shoes not really like she's no. she was a rival to Vader in reality like one of the best mm-hmm. assassins that Palpatine chose himself like and again, people don't don't realize this, the the amount of lore that Star Wars has. Oh yeah, hence the reason people got upset with the sequel trilogy. Like me personally, it was none of the like. If it was me, right, Finn should have been the one who was the Jedi, in my opinion, because they led that mm-hmm. character. Up. And this is a thing as a dungeon master that you can learn from movies, right? You can learn from film. Don't tease one of the characters and then pull it out from their from the rug. Don't tease that your paladin is the chosen warrior of the kingdom prophesied by clerics past, and then you switch it to the druid or you switch it to whoever. It's not really right. And I think that's what they did with Finn. That they kind of tease this, you know, force-sensitive stormtrooper in this case, you Mm -hmm. know. A first order trooper and Ray was gifted with she was you know force sensitive too 
but really she was the smuggler. She was like Han yeah. Solo. And then obviously Poe, my boy Poe was like Leia, the, the oh, yeah. leader. You had a great mm-hmm. archetype. But again, that's neither here nor there. That's probably another episode of this podcast. <laughs> because we I think we can dive deep into Star Wars just and 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 the correlations of being a good dungeon master and saying, look what they did with the Mandalorian, right? That mm-hmm. I feel that first season is like a perfect D campaign. If you want to replicate a good one shot, the first season of Mandalorian is a perfect one where you have the introduction of the characters, you have some sort of struggle between the main characters, in this case, the party, and their objective. Mm-hmm. And then you bring in a little bit of, you know, you introduce other NPCs and other stories or story arcs, excuse me. And then you have that final, you know, battle between good and evil and, you know, end it the way you want to end it. But again, that's just me. And I know that, uh, we're kind of at the top of the podcast hour, but I really want to make sure that we kind of shine a little bit of light on your app. Where can mm-hmm. people learn more about it? And I know you mentioned about beta testing earlier, but where can just people, where can folks just learn about your app and, and, you know, whether it's a newsletter or website? Yeah. So um, we are at tabletop.town. Um, that's our website that kind of has everything about us. That's got uh, like updates. It's also got, our like sign up for beta there is a big button at the top just says beta you can sign up um it is like an open public beta but you do have to actively sign up for it um and it'll kind of walk you through that you can also kind of see our feature map and everything that's coming we are also on all socials at tabletop town app okay so instagram and tiktok um stuff like that um and also, if you kind of want to get updates as they come on our website, so on tabletop.town, you have, there's a like sign up that'll pop up and you can also kind of scroll down to sign up for our newsletter that will tell you when everything's coming. But like I said, we're in beta right now and full release coming in July of this year. Perfect. I actually have the website up right now. <laughs> so I will definitely be downloading it uh, to test it for, for beta and to just play around with it because I would, I would, I really love the idea and the concept yeah folks i'm so definitely going to be putting it, it in the uh podcast show notes perfect thank you um so yeah it is system agnostic so we don't have any rule sets built in quite yet at launch there are going to be um multiple rule sets and then also they're going to kind of come pre-built in so you don't have to get things started from scratch so which is that'll perfect include- yeah, that'll include things like um, D&D 5th edition, the core rule set, and also Pathfinder. That's awesome. Um, are for sure going to be in there. And then more more to come. Well, we're excited about it. I know I'm very excited about it. And I'm really looking forward to something that is rules agnostic. Because at the end of the day, the rules don't necessarily matter. It's the story that we tell together as friends. Um, so I'm really excited about it. I mean. This, I don't know, this was just a really eye-opening and great episode. I really appreciate your time. <laughs> uh, folks, be sure in the podcast show notes to go ahead and click the link. Make sure that you sign up for the newsletter and, and follow Tabletop Town on social media, uh, wherever you consume social media. But mm-hmm. that's going to really be this episode, folks. I really appreciate it. 
Uh, remember, if you haven't subscribed already, subscribe. But more importantly, be kind and compassionate to one another, y'all. Some crazy times that we live in, but a little bit of kindness and a lot of compassion go a long way. But as I always like to say, y'all have a great one. Keep gaming. Thank you.